0: Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week I talk to Treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now and where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. In this week's show delighted to be joined by Hans Grundström, the Treasury Manager at Getinge Group. Founded in 1904 in Sweden they're a leading global provider of products and systems that contribute to within healthcare and life sciences. But as always, I'll get Hans to describe that a little bit later in the show. We, you know, the massive company, head office located in Sweden, but he's actually based, as you'll see, he hasn't got quite the Swedish accent you might expect. Expect A bit more Irish brogue in there. Hans, take us back through your career, if you would. Interesting start, and then before you discover the world of treasury, tell us how you got started, and then discover finance, then discover treasury, and then bring us all the way through your career, if you would.
1: Hi, Mike. Thanks for, for letting me be on the show. Pleasure. Yeah, it all started happening somewhere 20, 25 years ago. I was looking around on the internet, which was fairly new back then, for a, for a college to go to, and I found Trinity College Dublin. And I applied for it, and they made it really easy to start there. All the materials arrived in the box quite quickly, and, and I ended up going to, to Trinity College there for four years. Then I returned home to Sweden, and the job I found for myself there, this would have been in 2001, 2002 there, when uh, finance jobs were a bit scarce to get by due to, I think, there had been an internet bubble. There had been uh, some tragic uh, occurrences in the United States at the time, and the finance industry wasn't quite where it had been maybe a couple of years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I found myself a, a job as a postman and got promoted into a, to a manager there where I managed an office together with two colleagues. I managed about 30 staff and we focused on uh, things like getting the staff turnover from it was about 100% or so when I started that annually, we got it down to about 15% and so on. But it wasn't what my dream job had been I mean, I had studied business in college and I hadn't seen myself working in a, in a post office. It was something that my dad had done before me, so I was quite proud to follow that tradition, but it was time to move on, and I ended up moving back to Ireland. Hmm. And in Ireland, then, I found a job first in Accenture doing accounts receivables, which was very gratifying, actually, talking to people of, different levels in the, in the clients' organizations and, and talking to them about not just invoices, but you get a, a wonderful opportunity to talk to people about a little bit of this and that and asking questions. And, and generally it was, a, it was a job I quite enjoyed. Then Citibank came in with an offer for another role. And I assumed that this was a team leader role, a management role, because let's face it, I didn't have much financial background. So uh, I looked at that uh, job spec there and I I started in the Bank. and in a couple of weeks I realized uh, that in fact the job spec that I'd gotten was wrong and the job that I had gotten was quite different from what I expected it to be. It was still a very interesting job though, I was working with their product, Wordlink. We were moving one of their offices from the United States over to Dublin, so we were Mm -hmm learning how that uh, product worked, which was a Czech product. I, at that time, didn't think that Czechs really existed anymore. I thought, you know, being European, being from Sweden, in fact, right, I, I probably had only seen a Czech once or twice in my life before. Yeah. And I thought that they were on their way out. But I learned differently. And I learned the, the uses you can get out of a Czech as well. And what a great tool it can be for today for for, for a treasury do things with them for, for payrolls in difficult locations. And you have all these these solutions for, for making payments without having an account in, in certain
0: countries and so on. I remember actually myself, I, I, sorry, sorry to just jump in, but I just remember similarly I coming from the UK, okay, cheques were still here, but they were on their way out. And as you say, back in 06 and things like that. But I remember being at the AFP conference in the US and them being sort of, you know, e checks, but they weren't. They were actually you just sent them to it, and they scanned them on fax machines and stuff like that. And I was like, "Does that really still happen?" But exactly as you say, then when I got to understand it, they said, "Well, this country doesn't really have a banking system where it still it's in its infancy, so it's it's much more fraud resistant than than cash." And it was just like, oh, okay, and it was just sort of that promissory note sort of thing. But as you say, it's sort of it sounds like because again, just for the listeners. You, at that stage, you made that move from Accenture, but actually you joined Citibank. But you know, talk us through that. So that was your first bit there, sort of a slightly unusual move because it was a different job to the one you thought you were in. But then how did your career develop from there at City?
1: It really took off then when I ran into one of your friends, I believe, Andrew Bishop, yes, who worked in Andy. the Treasury Solutions Group
0: who will be on the show sometime. If you're listening, Bishop, you're going to be on the show one day. I'll get you on here. You'll be great. But Hans is here now, so you've got there first.
1: I'll tell all the good stories and and I'll leave you with
0: the rest. Yeah, lovely.
1: He gave me a chance to work in the Treasury Solutions Group, which was an outsourced treasury operation. City was offering its clients to do their treasury for them. You would agree on the scope of what was to be executed under what rules. It was very rigidly documented what you could and could not do. And that, I must say, has, I, I still today wish that I was back there. It, it closed back in 2008, 2009. It was one of the first victims of the financial crash, as I believe City was mm. trying to mm. limit their risk, I think. But what was great about this place was that you. You got to play with all the toys, you got to play with a multilateral netting, you got to play with bonds, you got to play with online banking, whatever there is, whatever there is that city offers, and let's face it, you offer most of it. Some clients, one or another, would have signed up for it and you were eventually put on it to, to operate it and, and deal with it for them. I also love this because you got to meet so many different clients and see how they did things so differently.
0: Hans, can you explain what a Treasury manager at the Treasury Solutions Group did? Because as I understand it, you know, big global corporations would say, actually, you act as our treasury for that region for so maybe caterpillar or everything else. So what was the offering to the corporations? And then what did you do again for the listeners?
1: Okay, let's, let's think of it as things that we might be able to build into an unattended robot with RPA mm-hmm. today. It would be things where you could set a rule, let's say an ethics deal determination to operate your hedging program. You've already sat down at your table. You've decided what the principles for your hedging program is going to be and, and what parameters will trigger a, a deal to be, to be put in place. We wouldn't set those parameters. We wouldn't do the thinking of the principles or the policy. What we would do is once you have that, your document we would execute upon it. Same thing would go for a, for a netting operation. A netting operation is complex to set up the first time you run it, but after that, it's fairly standardized work. And you do it month and month. You still need to do some FX deals. You need to do some reconciliations, and you need to do some Settlements to make that thing work. And we would do that kind of work. We would do the thing that is repetitive, documentable, and, and uh, that gets the treasury to run. And that leaves the treasurer and the treasury managers that are the retained staff to focus on value-adding stuff instead of focusing on operations. Mm. It, you're also leaving this with, you could compare it to a shared server center except the average treasury manager in PSG would have uh, perhaps a college degree, uh, certainly would have been in the bank for at least uh, 10 years if they didn't have a college degree. They, they would be subject matter experts on what they were doing. It was a very good climate to work to be able to learn from all these people who knew so much. And the camaraderie from from people there. This has been closed now for twelve years, but uh, I know for a fact that uh, large groups of these people, especially the girls, they go on annual anything. They'll meet up, and now I meet up with uh, some of the guys I was working with as well. Like it's a, it was a, a great way of tying connections and building networks in that industry.
0: And then that the, the sort of the the offering change, that they wound down that. What did you then? Then it became Treasury and trade implementation. How, you know, how did that move come about? How was that different within Treasury terms? For the again, for the listeners,
1: yeah. So after I'd worked with operating the products, the next job that I got was to implement these kind of products for our for Citibank's clients. So our clients would have signed up for I don't know Whirlink, That's check product, for instance, where they would have up for for make, sending in payment files over their online banking tool or something like that, opening up a bank account. And I would work with them to do that for them as the implementations manager. I would be a project manager, keeping all the different moving parts onto a, onto a project plan and taking it step by step to make sure that all the boxes were ticked and everybody's walking roughly the same pace. And to get it done on time, then training, The clients on the products that they had were making sure that if it was a specialized product, that whomever was was the expert in training them would do that. So it was an end-to-end process from the moment that the client signs on the dotted line to buy the product up until they're operating it and is starting to ramp up the expected revenues they're expecting to get from the product would be that part of the flow. And I stayed with Bath for, I think, three, could have been three years, something like that. It's mm. very interesting, that as well. I would say that those two jobs together gave me a perspective, though, that, that I thought that all clients, sorry, I thought that all corporates, in fact, over a certain size, had a treasury. And I thought that it would be a treasury that was quite rigidly documented, followed the same process over and over. I just thought that everybody had a treasury. And that's, I guess, when I left Citibank in 2014 and started meeting companies outside of my comfort zone, I started realizing that treasuries came in all sizes and all shapes, and not necessarily all companies had treasuries. Mm. It started becoming a discussion of explaining to people what it was I actually did. I would lived in my little bubble there, thinking that everybody knew what the treasury did. In fact, I'd just been living among treasurers and treasury implementation managers for the best part of a decade. Mm. So it was a wake-up call, certainly, when I joined it, Getting has had a treasury here for, for a long, long time, and it's a fairly sophisticated treasury. Currently about eight people. I'll start by saying a few words about what it is we do, what products we prepare as a group, which is a company of about 10,000 employees. We have staff in about 40 countries, and we sell into around 130 countries around the world. Hmm. 50% of our revenue is in the United States, 30% in Europe, and 20% in Asia. Our product portfolio is, in. You would see inside of an operating table. Sorry, operating rooms. So you would, in fact, see an yeah. operating table. You would see that fancy lamp that stands behind the doctor with many different bulbs in it, which is specially designed to make sure that the doctor doesn't, or surgeon, in fact, doesn't cast any shadow. You would have things like artificial heart vessels that the uh, body won't reject, that will keep you alive while you're on that table. Machines that make you breathe, and uh, machines that clean up the tools and equipment that has been used during the operation, so that it can be used safely again in the future. It's a wide range of products, and we're market leaders in, in things
0: like the operating tables and, and lamps. And and so, given that you're literally what is it, 135, so everywhere basically, it's crazy. You know, you the product. Literally, wherever you have operations, you have your product, from the sounds of it. What does, what's that like in you know, international terms, and how is then the treasury structured around that? So
1: the, the most of our transactions, and it comes down to payments, most of what we look at on a day-to-day basis is payments. We pay ourselves more than we pay people outside of the company. We make about 50,000 payments internally every month. And we make about thirty thousand payments to external parties every month. So one of the first products that we implemented was the multilateral netting. And for many years we we had a very good relationship with one of our banks, Handel's Bank, and it was a trusted partner yeah. who built a netting system for us. It was a great system. Unfortunately, they discontinued that project about four years ago. And we changed to uh, co process nesting, which is based in Switzerland, which again, I would say it's a very good product and, and you get excellent service from them. Yeah. So we've done the internal payments, we've focused on that very much. And, and to that, we've then tied our we've tied our hedging process to the internal payments. Huh. So we've been looking at our netting flows to figure out exactly how much should we net now and 18 months into the future.
0: And with that you, you're, and your role as a, a treasury professional, you know, we talked before the right. show about automation and we actually met. We were at the Treasury 360 conference in Sweden. I'd seen uh, Hans present. I thought it was a great presentation. Can you just talk through maybe how you, that treasury transformation and the automation piece? Because a lot of people say "Oh, technology and it's advancing and stuff, but we said it works hand in hand and helps make your job better that much simpler and you've got these incredible, you know, incredible number of transactions. Can you just describe that again, what what you see that people listening should be thinking about? Absolutely. So since we'd already successfully
1: centralised the internal payments, we started looking at the external payments. We started looking at a payment factory and we started looking at an in-house bank. And really, what gave birth to that was that in 2014, the group had decided to establish a shared service center in Krakow. And we wanted to give our shared service center the tool to centralize or, or uniform the way our rather diversified company was making their payments. So we started looking at different types of payment factories and we started to, we very quickly realized, with the help of some good uh, consultants, Bass, fribble and Neil Kukin, we realized then that if we... Attached an in-house bank to this, we can start making payments on behalf of what can be a lot cheaper and a lot easier to make than the kind of payments you make straight through the bank. Mm. So to get down to the nuts and bolts of that, what it is you're doing is it's not really that difficult once once you get the concept down. It's, you collect the payment files from all your subsidiaries, the ones that they had planned on uploading into a bank. We upload that into your system instead. In our case is we're uploading it into something called Trax provided by FIS Global. And they change the debit account into, they take away the bank account and they, they change it with one internal in-house bank account that we run in our own banking software called Integrity, again from FIS Global. And in that way, um, we have ensured that we can build a shortcut to our own external treasury bank account. So in effect, all the payments starts going out from our bank accounts with treasury in, that we have with our trusted banks. Mm. When we're doing that, you know, that, that was the original scope. And, and when we were doing that, we spent a lot of time choosing the right provider for us. There are a lot of providers out there. They're all good without exception, but some of the providers are more geared to what you as a company is doing, and some are geared to what other companies are doing. We're quite happy with FIS Global; they're fitting our profile. So we had made our selection for the system we were, systems we were going with, and the infrastructure was generating its place, when all of a sudden two, I wouldn't say brand-new technologies burst onto the scene, but certainly two technologies came to be they came to maturation at the same time, and I'm talking about uh, rob- robotic process automation (RPA) and about Swift GPA. Robotic process automation for anyone who knows Excel BBA, it's really nothing new. It's always been there, but you, as a user, have had to program it yourself.
0: Right?
1: Some people have that. They they have the knack. You know, they they can go onto Google and they can learn a few lines of that overnight. But most people don't have that. What the RPA is doing now in products such as Blue Prism or UiPath, that it's becoming a lot more easy to, first of all, train subject matter experts, creating teams around products that look the same in company by company, so you're sort of creating a career path for RPA professionals. Secondly, the bar to learning how to do this has gotten lower. I might not be able to program Blue Prism. I have had a look with our team. I would be able to do the VBA part of it. But the other parts there, I, I think maybe would be, I would need to take a course for the others. Hmm. I hear that the UI path, which we are also looking at, we, we already have some of these Blue Prism robots, about 10 of them, I think. We're also looking at the UI path ones, which are simpler for people like, like you and me, I suppose, to use. Program and we were
0: looking to get a few adults as well. And when you say what was that bringing to you guys? Because again, people will be hearing this now, listening to the you know the podcast, and they'll be like, "Yeah, but is it?" You know, maybe they're not as advanced as yourselves, so that's not something that they're they're thinking of. Yeah, but you know, how did that sort of you know what does that bring with it? You know, everyone says, "Oh yeah, bring in technology," but why is it worth all the effort? What's the returns you're seeing?
1: I think it's it's a question of whether or not are you are you increasing the quality of the workers that you have left or are you trying to remove subsets of your workers by automating their work? Mm. For us and the, the distinct decision here in getting it is the second part there. We're not looking to cut any staff or anything like that. We are looking for staff to use these tools mm. to automate the boring stuff. Get that out of the way. The very first process that we are doing here in Treasury is very simple. Right? It's, uh, the robot is unattended. No one is looking after it. And it's, all it's doing all day long is looking at the, the Outlook uh, email folder. And it's looking for, for an email. And when that specific email comes in, it takes it and it saves it onto a drive, converts the Excel sheet that is attached to it. It happens to not be able to produce what we actually want. And then it sends it on to our uh, in-house bank. It's that simple, right? It's a very simple task. And if we didn't do that, then someone would need to sit there every morning and spend three or four minutes to, um, to do that task. And that's, that's unnecessary. Mm. And if you do that, when you're implementing a new system of some sort, if you keep your eye open for all these little uh, niggly bits and start getting them away, You're going to find that you're starting to save first 15 minutes, then half an hour, and then an hour per day, and that's per person, so you're starting to free up people to do what they're really good at, what we hired them to do in in Treasury anyway, in the first place. We hired them to analyse things and what opportunities.
0: And the accuracy and the resilience goes up, and people see that. I think the more that people then commit to that, they sort of lean into it, if you like, the better the results. Only when I've been talking to people that, you know, that's one of the key things that actually, you know, the, they said, My, it's it's about taking two minutes out here and a minute out there. And I was like, oh, right. They said, and then repeating it. You know, if you repeat that 10 times, well, that's 10 minutes. So if you repeat that a thousand times, that's a person's job. Not removed, but actually they can get on and do other more interesting things rather than be drawn down into the not so interesting stuff. That's exactly
1: it. And, and I think that what this RPA represents now, is that opportunity coupled with the fact that it's not as difficult as, it, as robotics have used to be in the past. We started this in the second week of December and we went fly with our first process uh, last week. That's a very short span of going from we haven't thought of this to we now have implemented our first process. I would highly recommend anyone to start looking into this, even if they think that this isn't for them. I think this is something that can elevate, specifically can elevate Treasury, mm. as well as uh, as, 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 as the various teams that Treasury work with against receivables, against mm. payables. Those kinds of so teams can, can have a lot of use in this as well.
0: And where do you see when do you see it before we get towards the end but you know for the show, but where do you see it going next, and where do you see your role developing and growing what what's what's happening for you
1: so at the moment we are in the middle of setting up our in-house bank and payment factory fairly long days and uh, trying to to get this thing to fly. the next step of this once we've gotten the technological framework and this has already started now, but the next step is to Tie it in together with the key fundamental questions of why we're here in Treasury anyway. To make sure that the in-house bank plays ball with our hedging policy, that the hedging policy is right for us, and that the capital structure is what it should be, that the decisions on what capital structure we should have and, and so forth is somehow uh, at least a little bit automated, and making that easier getting working capital to to work that into these solutions as well. So it's going to go from a very technical point and going back to the more treasury, the real treasury stuff that I've had to neglect for a little while now, while I've been focusing on the technical detail. And
0: And what's real treasury stuff? I'm
1: I'm quite looking forward to real treasury stuff. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. FX deals and uh, intercompany loans financing, capital structure, that sort of thing. That's uh, that's, that's real threshery.
0: Yeah, indeed. Building
1: the tools, building the robots, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a necessary thing to do. You need to have your hygiene factors and you need to have your yeah. resistance in place. But talking to your banks and talking to everybody in the organization from the C-suite down to the factory floor, talking to them about cash, money, forecasts, that sort of thing, yeah. Uh, adding that sort of uh, intellectual level of cash to the organisation. Awesome. That's really trash, really.
0: And again, you know, you've got this strength in your background, and everyone's heard of it through the show. But if someone you know new to it, as I said to you before that sort of within Europe, in particular, and a lot of our listeners are more sort of treasury man- manager, analyst. A lot of the people, you know, overseas are more treasurer level. But if someone were to look overall at your background hands and say, oh, do you know what? I'd, I'd like to have a similar role to me. I'd like to follow a similar career path. What sort of would you pick out from some of the roles? You mentioned earlier you love the role in Treasury Solutions Group when you're at Citibank, but then you've got this role. What, what are the things that you would pluck out of those and the tips you would give to people listening today? Actually, this is what you should be thinking about. And, you know, if you wanted to have a similar background to you, would you say?
1: We usually say that in Treasury people, people either come from an accounting background or they come from a banking background or they come from elsewhere. Mm. And that those are the three usual paths. And there, there's a certain, certain truth to that. When you look at what I would look for when hiring people into Treasury, I would look for someone with integrity, someone who knows who they are, who don't mind admitting when they've done something wrong, right? You know, someone who immediately, when they discover they've done something wrong, raise their hands so that we can have a discussion around it and prevent it the next time. Hmm. That's the first part. The second part is it's wanting to have an intellectual discussion with your peers around what it is you're doing, trying to place yourself in what. Why are we doing these processes? What is it we're delivering? Who are we delivering it for? Is, is it the shareholders, right? Are, are they the reason we're doing this particular task and constantly evaluating what it is you're doing? Because what you're doing is you're managing risk. And if you don't have that conversation constantly, the risk, is, the risk of risks is that you don't recognize that a new risk has arisen or, or that an old one has uh, ceased to be. And you need to be careful with how you spend your, your limited resources. And the final thing, I guess I would look for someone with a bit of personality, someone someone who has a nice laugh, maybe, you know, who's Mm. nice to work with. So what tip would I give to someone looking to work with treasury? Well, be yourself. To a certain extent, you can can learn treasury, you can study treasury, Mm. unless you're interested in it, unless you find that this is something for me, that's something you're not going to be happy in it. And you're not going to deliver the results that you want for yourself or or the results that I want to see.
0: Yeah. either. I scribble notes here every week, and it's like, in this case, as you highlighted, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. If you do put your hand up and, you know, correct them or help correct them and everything else, followed by, you know, being yourself, being open, you know, and and show your personality. And then, because as you say, the the fact is, we're you know we work long days. You guys work long days in Treasury, and it. it's a long time not enjoying yourself and not being able to be open. You know, there's only so long you can keep going if it's if it's not going to work. So sort of I yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Hans, amazing, amazing advice. I think for everyone, if you do want to connect with Hans after the show, we'll put his LinkedIn profile in the show notes so you can connect over there on LinkedIn it's been great you will see both Hans and I speaking at a variety of conferences I'm sure throughout the Nordics over 2020 which will be good to see and you know all that remains for me to do is say thank you for your time today Hans it was a really good one thanks Mike
1: always a pleasure speaking to you
0: and you sir